All right, good morning and welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. This is a very special, can we say holiday edition? Oh wait, I just said it. This is a very special holiday weekend edition of Kabbalah Cafe. Um, and what, well, apparently it's Isaac Newton's Arab birthday, Arab Isaac Newton's birthday. <laughs> Thanks to what Sam Silver just gave out over here, which I'm excited to read. I think I read it before, but I'm going to read it again. Um, okay, so we have, we have a lot to talk about today. And the topic is ecstasy, agony. That's today's topic. Ecstasy and agony. Is it, it does sound like opposites, right? He, yes, so we spoke about that yesterday. We had, a, we had a big session on that, Christianity and the Talmud. Today, the focus is on ecstasy and agony. So here is where I, where I want to start with this. And it's really tied in, if you saw the email that I sent out Friday, it's really tied into the, uh, the idea of Jewish meditation. Um, and what I want to do is start with a very quick uh, definition of what meditation is from a Jewish perspective, contrast it with meditation from an Eastern perspective, give you two examples of Jewish meditation, explain how they differ from each other and what they induce, the, the effect that they create within the person, and then talk about how all of that could be destroyed by three letters. And now all that is just a setup for the main idea of today. But so, all, so let's, let's jump right in. Number one, meditation. So if you're familiar with, with Eastern meditation, or what I guess we would say is the, I don't know, famous prevalent meditation. When you think of meditation or hear meditation, this is probably what you've thought of or heard of or encountered. So Eastern meditation is very much driven by the idea of clearing the mind or emptying the mind. Right? It's very much a practice of emptying the mind and getting rid of all distracting thoughts. Jewish meditation is very different. Jewish meditation is not about emptying the mind. It's about focusing the mind. In fact, the Hebrew word for meditation doesn't even mean meditation. The Hebrew word is hit bonenut. Or, as the Ashkenazim would say, hisbonenus. But in, in, in the Sephardi Havara, we would say hit boninut. What is hit boninut? So, the more accurate translation. Uh, it's like it's related to bina. To bina. So, yes, so it's contemplation. It's more accurately defined as contemplation. It's not so much emptying the mind. Good morning. It's filling the mind. It's focusing the mind for a very specific purpose. See, in Judaism, meditation is not about separating from the world, separating from physicality, right? Transcending the material, right? Climbing the mountaintop, as it were, and, and, and disassociating oneself from reality. That's not the objective of meditation. The objective of meditation is to evoke a certain uh, set of emotions to create or trigger an emotional response that you wish to be triggered and or uh, um, evoked. That's the goal of meditation. So, classic example that I've given before, you're driving down the street, right? You're in traffic, and you begin thinking about something that someone said to you two weeks ago, 
and you begin contemplating what they said and what they meant, and you start conjuring up the idea that maybe it was actually offensive, and then you start getting upset. The person's not there in the car with you. They didn't just say it to you. It's two weeks ago. It's old news, or as we would call stale hamantashen, or what we would say matzah on sale after Passover. This is like, it's old, it's old news. And yet, you're getting an actual, a visceral reaction of anger. You get angry, there's a faribble happening. I don't know if anyone outside of South Africa uses that term, but in South Africa, right? Faribble, everyone's getting upset. Not everyone, sorry. You're getting angry, right? You're, you're gripping the steering wheel. You're having an emotional response of, of anger. And again, the person's not there. They didn't say anything to you right now. All of this is happening. The emotional feeling that you're having is all triggered by your mind. This is what we call meditation. By the way, this is not healthy meditation, but it's still hitbonenut. You were mitbonain. You contemplated something to the point that it triggered an emotion. That's exactly what meditation is in Judaism. Of course, hopefully for healthy things, not for unhealthy things. My point is, all of us, even if you don't consider yourself someone who meditates, you absolutely have meditated before. Have you ever thought about something and then felt an emotional reaction? Of course, you're human. In that case, you practice meditation. The only difference is, do you do so intentionally or unintentionally? Did you mindfully determine what it is that you want to feel and then set up an intellectual program of what you're going to think about to get to that emotion? Or did you allow your thoughts to get carried away and then you felt how you felt and you're not even sure why you feel like that anymore, but you feel like that and then you can trace it back if you're mindful enough and, 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 uh, and self-aware enough to trace it back to what you were thinking about and then you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been thinking about that. And that's how most of us are, right? With the exception of this enlightened group that we have here with us at Kabbalah Cafe, right? Most people go through life and don't necessarily, in a consistent way, practice this Hitbonanut meditation where you are intentionally setting out what you want to think about so as to feel how you want to feel. And this is something, again, that I've said in, in classes previously, and you may, this may sound familiar or maybe not. Either way, it's a truth. The truth is sometimes we, we, as we go through the day, we feel not so good. Maybe we feel anxious or we feel a little sad. And again, as I mentioned a moment ago, it, it sometimes it's helpful to try to trace it back to wait, what was I thinking about? And sometimes we'll realize that what we've been thinking about are negative things. In other words, suffering in the world. Now, it doesn't mean that we, need to, that we should turn a blind eye to the pain and the tsaras that are around us. But here's the question. How do we start our day? Do we start our day with, uh, you know, with a coffee and reading all the disasters that are out there in the world? And again, we may have to do that. You know, we may have to do that in certain circumstances. But here's the question. Are we starting the day on a negative, anxiety-inducing note? Or are we starting the day hopeful and positive, right, with something uh, uplifting? Yeah. Does the mind trigger the emotion or does the emotion trigger the mind? Excellent question. In Kabbalah it says that like the structure of the body, the physical structure of the body, when a person is upright, not when they're lying down or upside down, right, where the head lies at the top of the body, as it were, the human form, right? And the heart is underneath it. The mind controls the heart. In fact, in the book of Tanya, which is 
the Bible of Chabad Hasidic philosophy, as you know, it says many multiple times, Moach, Moach, the brain shalit al halev betuldato. By nature, the brain rules the heart. That doesn't mean it always plays out like that. In other words, are people guided by their emotions? Absolutely. But I like it. You know, in Hebrew, anybody have a dog? Any dog owners here? Dog owners? Dog owners? Something special about dogs. I don't own a dog. My son, who's here, you probably saw him hanging around. He is just absolutely, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say that. But he's, he's been advocating for a dog for a little while. It's at the point now where he's saying, can, I, can you take me to a shelter to pet dogs at this point? He's just looking for any interaction. Super cute. So, and he's like, well, can we just have a dog for like a week or two? Over winter break. I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> I don't think you can adopt a dog for just a week. Um, yeah, so here's the deal. In Hebrew, what's the Hebrew word for dog? Kelev. Kelev. So what, what, what does the Jew, good Jewish book say? You know what Kelev means? It's a... It's a, it's a kulo, kolev, or kulo lev. All heart. Right? Dogs, are, lev in Hebrew is heart. Kul or kulo lev means all heart. Dogs are a very emotional animal. Very loving, very emotive, very emotional. I grew up in a cat family. Turns out I was allergic. Who would have thought? <laughs> it's a true story. Anyway, um, dogs are very... Cats, not so emotional. They do their own thing. They, they're, like, they're, they're, you know, they'll come around. Right? They'll come around and like brush against you on occasion to like let you know that they're here. Like, boom. I'm like, oh. Except when they're shedding and then it's like, oh, you had to brush against my, my suit pants. Again, this is reliving trauma of my, uh, of my youth. I'm kidding. So, um, but dogs are very emotional. Here's the question. You're taking your dog for a walk. Who's walking who? Are you walking your dog or is your dog walking you? Uh, fine, that's okay though. It's okay that it's in front. The question is, who's guy who's schlepping who? When they take a leash in their, in their mouth and pull you, then they're walking you. Then you, know, then you know that's what's happening, right. So sometimes, hopefully most times, we're walking the dog. But sometimes you see the dog schlepping the person. It's like, it's like with, the, with the mind and the heart. So in an ideal situation, the mind governs the heart. And that doesn't mean that we become robots. Unfeeling, right, cold, calculated, analytical robots that don't feel. No. The dog sometimes, always is ahead. In other words, we some, many times, leading with the emotion is healthy. The question is, is that emotion spontaneous, reactive, right, um, instinctive, or is it mindful and guided? It's much more powerful when it's mindful and guided. So Kabbalah says um, that, that in the structure of the human body, as well as the structure of the Sfirot, the ten soul powers, you have first the three intellectual soul powers of Chachma, Bina, and Dat, and then you have the emotional suite of feelings. And the goal is that your emotions are guided by your mind. And so this is what meditation is. Meditation is not clearing the mind, emptying the mind. It's not about disattaching or disassociating 
from reality, there is a, a spiritual practice known as hitbodidut, which is about isolation and seclusion, which is practiced by some, that's something else. Hitboninut is not that. Hitboninut comes from the word bina, which means understanding, contemplation. You know what else? You know what other word it's related to? Bina, bone, build. What is bina? Chachma and bina. What's chachma? Chachma is the point of the idea. It's the core, it's like the, it's like the core, the general core point. And what's bina? Bina is when you expand it. It's when you build it, build on it and build it out. So Chachma is, I have an idea for an article. I have an idea. Now, I, I don't have it fleshed out yet, right? I don't have it, you know, it, but I have a core, I have an idea. This is what I want to write about. And then the Bina is building it out, writing it out, expanding the concept, applying it, giving examples and telling stories and finding other sources. Bina is the process of Building, building out. So, in Kabbalah, with regards to water, Chachma is the, um, the source uh, uh, of the well, and, and Bina is the river. So you have the few drops of water, or whatever, you have the source, then you have the river that is expanded, it's wide, it's long, it's deep, right? It's expanded, that's what Bina is. Hitbonenot means, getting back to Jewish meditation or Kabbalah meditation, as it were, I guess. Jewish meditation is all about hitbonenot. It's all about bina. It's not about thinking in general terms about an idea. It's about thinking about that idea in very specific terms. Like bina, expanded, you go broad, sorry, you go long, you go broad, you go deep in the idea. You're thinking about it, you're applying it, you're, you're contemplating it. And that contemplation leads to, if done correctly, will lead to an emotional reaction. So I want to share with you, now that we've done a bit of an intro about meditation in general, I want to give you two meditations. Yeah. So you're talking about being on dots. Yes. So in this process you're talking about, is das, where does that fit in there? Is it not part of It's a very good question. Das is usually understood as the application of the idea intellectually. So it's kind of like moving away from the abstract concept. It's what does this idea mean for me? So in Kabbalah it says, and I'll quote the Aramaic from, from the Zohar, it says, that, das, is the mafteach, which is Hebrew for key, right? The kolel shis, that opens up the door to the six emotions. So really, what I did was oversimplify the process. I spoke about bina, hitbonenut, meditation, and then emotions. But in between, there is that. There's das, in between. That's the key to opening up the emotions. That's where the meditation moves from general theoretical contemplation about a topic, and this is relevant to me. When I'm driving in the car and th ruminating in my mind, about the comment that my coworker said to me two weeks ago, it's not in an abstract term, it's, and they meant that for me. And that's not the first time they said that. And, uh, you know, it, and the, so you personalize it, and that's when the emotions get triggered. So there is the personalization that's needed, but in general, the main focus of the meditation is on the hitbonenut, is on the contemplation piece of it. So I wanna share with you two general approaches. Now, when you study Kabbalah or Hasidic philosophy, 
you encounter many, many, many different meditations. There are many different forms, um, many different pathways of meditation. But I'll give you two general directions. One is outward and one is inward. One is thinking about the universe and God, and one is thinking about my own successes and failures. Again, there are hundreds and thousands and whatever, an unlimited number of potential Hitbonenot meditations. I'm going to give you two general directions, outward, inward. What's the outward? What's the inward? Here we go. So one meditation is, this, and by the way, I'm not about to lead a meditation where I tell you to close your eyes and that sort of thing. Why? I would probably fall asleep. But in addition to that, I'm not leading, I'm, I'm explaining, describing a meditation and then, okay, so meditation number one is as follows. You think about the grandness of existence. And you start with what you know. Thinking about, think about your life. Think about how you are physically alive and think about how your consciousness works and how your biological life works and your emotional life works and then you think about how the life of those around you is, is, uh, enriches your life. And then you think about the larger scope of a community, of a nation, of, you know, society, nation, etc. And you think about nature itself and then you think about the, the planets and galaxies and the universe and all, you think about all this stuff. Then you think about how there is a source to all of this. As we say in the, in the davening every morning, and by the way, the prayers every morning are meant to really be this Hitbonanut meditation. Right? If you read, if, okay, very often we read it, and we, we move quickly through the prayers. When I say we, I mean people, right? Move quickly through the prayers because whatever, whatever pragmatic reasons that, that is. But when you take a moment to stop and reflect on the words that we're saying, it's unbelievable. Talk about how we talk about the creation and then we say the punctuated words and you, God, you enliven everything. Everything that's alive is driven and powered by God. Remember the, the computers back in the day? Maybe they, even till today they say powered by Intel, right? Remember those? The Intel computers, right? right? Powered by God. Everything is powered by God. Even Intel, Powered by Intel. Who's powering Intel? Boom, God. You begin meditating on how great God is, how amazing God is, to be able to enliven and create everything from nothing to something. You think about the wonder of creation, how creation is not the product of, in the, in the, in the terminology of Kabbalah, cause and effect. It's not like we said before about meditation, the way intellect triggers emotions. That's not how creation works. Creation is the product of yesh and something from nothing. It doesn't have a prior cause that makes sense for it to emerge. There's nothing prior that, that makes sense in, for physical matter to exist. Spirituality and physicality are complete opposites. So the fact that this exists is the greatest magic trick of all. How is it possible? Think about how great God is for being able to pull off this incredible thing called creation, creating something, physical something, from nothing. When I say nothing, it's God. God is not nothing. But that which did not physically precipitate this physical reality. There was nothing prior that naturally caused it to evolve. 
And that's amazing. And that's, and that's mind-boggling. When you think about the greatness of Hashem, of God, to be able to pull this off. And the fact that God, as we said recently in the JLI Kabbalah course, the, uh, um, the world called the World of Kabbalah, so I explained then, in the final session, that you have um, part of the, one of the identifiers that God is behind this creation is the fact that human beings can think of themselves as their own creators. Right? The very fact that sometimes a human being can say, I'm my own creator, is literally a product of God creating this reality. Because <laughs> who else could give a person that consciousness? Everything should know that it comes from somewhere else. It's only a, a creature created by God himself. God who knows that there's nothing that created him, who also believes the creation, the human being also believes that, I'm cre- that I create myself. The point is, this meditation is thinking about the greatness of creation, reality, thinking about the greatness of God that creates all this. That triggers an excitement to get close to God. Now, I know what you're thinking. I heard what you said. This is what you're thinking about me. The you is me. All right. I heard what you said. I'm still not that excited. I don't know that, I, that I'm clamoring for God right now. I heard what you said, how great creation is, how awesome God is. You know what? I'm still enjoying my bagel. I'm not climbing out of my, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, levitating. I hear you. I hear you. However. Because you're not leaving a levitation. Correct. <laughs> or a meditation. <laughs> right. Either one. The truth is, the reason is because this is not a quick thing. Hitbonanut means you have to really think about it. You have to really apply yourself. You have to really think about it and contemplate it on every, the way Kabbalah describes it. You have to turn over the idea in your mind and look at it from all the angles. Right? Ever see those 3D renders of something? Oh, a car. Right? You're looking at a car online and they have that slider and you can look at it. It's spinning around. I love that. Love that. Love when they do that. The idea, we have to spin the idea around in our minds to look at it from all the angles. I mean, think, la havdil, wow. I'm even going to give probably a very bad example. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm taking my kids after this class to the football game, to the Falcons game. Why? Because <laughs> they wanted to go. That's why. I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a Steelers fan. But they want, yes, yes. I got the good news after Shabbos. <laughs> um, here's the deal. They wanted to go, whatever, there's a few guys going, so I'm going. I'm taking them to the game right after. So I was thinking now for a football analogy, but my mind went to Tom Brady, which I, who I know is enemy number one here in Atlanta, or at least was enemy number one in Atlanta. Either way, imagine someone follows football. No one cares. Perfect. Water under the bridge, fantastic. Great. Perfect. My analogy is safe. So imagine someone follows football, is invested in the sport. Someone who doesn't care, it's not gonna, this example's not going to work. Imagine someone who cares about the game. Someone who cares about the game. Follows the sport. Recognizes greatness. Right? Here's a, here's a quarterback. Here's a guy. Could be anybody. You pick your favorite player. Whatever. Here's a guy. We'll stick with Tom Brady. Here's a guy who, is, who excels at his position. He's fantastic. He wins games. Comebacks. 28-3, Tucson. Right? He comes back. It's unbelievable. He's a winner. One team gets rid of him. He wins in the new team. Unbelievable. And now, you're thinking about him, 
and you may have, it may evoke within you the desire to go to a game and to see this guy perform. That would be a reasonable reaction if you're a fan. Again, if you're a fan, which means that you know about the game, intellectually, your head is, you know, is into it. It makes sense that emotionally you'll be invested. I don't know why I had to go so far. I mean, just think about people who watch the game. I mean, I'm literally going to a game after this class. So like people who go to a game, people who play fantasy football, people who, you know, watch the Super Bowl. Maybe you're into the commercials, whatever it is, right? The point is you're thinking about something to the point that you're getting excited and you want to get closer to that thing. You want to meet that person. You want to see them play. You want to go there. You want to be a part of it, part of the experience. It's not so outlandish to think that someone who truly is meditating, mitbonen, meditating, contemplating about the world and creation and God and how magical this is to want to therefore or thereby or as a product of that thought process, want to get closer to God. And that means, well, how do you get closer to God? Okay, study Torah, do a mitzvah, whatever, whatever the tools are. But that it should evoke an emotional reaction in the person of like, I want to get closer to God. God is amazing. God is, a, and I want to get closer. It's not a crazy, you know, super eccentric thing to do. It's, it's normal when you think about the greatness of someone or something to want to get closer. Right? You're excited about, I don't know. A few weeks ago, we spoke about David Copperfield, a magician. You're excited about, you know, uh, oh, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Absolutely. Oh, wrong crowd? Taylor, I'll be, let's, let's be very honest. Taylor Swift is right for every crowd. <laughs> she is. I think she transcends crowds. Well, I, I, we're not going to get to politics. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're not going to get to politics. The point is that, that there are people that attract an audience, attract a strong crowd. And again, is it, I know that music is not intellectual, it would be emotional, etc. But the point is, is it possible to get excited? No, I'm sorry, that is my point. Because that meditation leads to emotion. You get excited, you want to get close. That's it. You want to show up to the concert, right? That's the idea. The idea is about generating emotions of excitement, emotional excitement, <coughs> to get closer, to wish to get closer. That's the idea of the meditation. Yeah. Okay. Okay, now. While you ask, I'm going to grab, forgot to grab a, a beverage. Good, that's good, because that, this is kind of like an interesting direction. David, it's all you right now. Go. Okay. All right, so when you said that um, the people create, the creator, the creator, and um, and people create their their creative function is coming from God. People think that they can create. Yeah, yeah. Because He can create. But if you think about, let's talk, let's talk about line now. Let's talk dollars and cents here. The people that are making money, okay, what they're doing is they're making a name for themselves. Like it says about like McDonald's or Kmart or Walmart, right? They're making a name. They're creating a name, which is not God's name. It's particularly not God's name. They're hiding God through their undertaking and thereby making a lot of money. I think this is very interesting. And, and, and um, how do you explain uh, Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A? Wait, 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 wait. wait. They're saying, 
we don't work on the Sunday. That, believe in God. That's and, good. Program, but, but that's the, I mean, you don't say that Walmart doesn't make money or Kmart doesn't make money. And a lot of those people, of CEOs, yeah, they believe they're servants of God when they do it. Wait, wait, so wait, wait, wait one second. Because I, I was I was listening and was also making a tea. So one second. Let me just let me just understand what you're asking. Yeah. Are you saying that in a perfect system, uh, uh, financial reward would follow spiritual integrity? Seemingly. And let me spell it out for you. Okay. Seemingly, yes. Like why is it that well not why is it, but let's not use why is it, but rather we all we all want to and need to be successful in this world that we live in. So if you look around You'll see, generally, the, a lot of times, I think most of the time, <clears throat> those that are denying God are making the most money. Interesting. Or, in a certain way, looking at it, just like when you create a, you have to create when you create a name, you create the Falcons. Someone invented, they made a name. They said, "I'm going to have a football team called the Falcons." Mm-hmm. There's no direct connection to God. It's not God's name. That's his separate name. Or Chick-fil-A or whatever company name. That owner of the Falcons is the one who's taking charity for it. That owner of the Falcons is taking his monies and donating it to good causes. Which is true. Which is true. Which is true in this case. Arthur Blank. Now, by the way. But it has to come through this vessel. No, I understand. I think I understand what you're saying. So here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. So speaking about the. Speak your ask. Very good question. I think it's not, I think that we don't have a system, a tight system where, um, where a blessing automatically follows. And I think that's also part of the point. Part of the point is not that I'm invested in a relationship with God for what I get out of it. It's I'm, I'm, I'm showing up because this is truth. When I say this, I mean God. God is truth. God is, I don't know. Great, but that sounds whatever. Right. Right. Then the money slips away. All right. So we're not talking about money today. It's Sunday. Um, I will say, by the way, speaking of the Falcons game, so there's a bit of a group together. So we had enough enough people that are that bought tickets together that you get a um, a slide or something on the screen. You get a match on the screen. So they asked the group, like, what do you want the, the screen to say? So what do you think we said? Atlanta stands with Israel. And we did not yet get a response, whether or not. There was no email back. We followed up a few times. So we... Huh? Yeah, no, for sure. But we haven't gotten an email back. So hopefully it's actually going to show up. I'll let you, I'll let you know next time uh, at the next class. We'll let, I'll let you know uh, how that turns out. Also, which is true on every level. <laughs> So right. Yeah. Look, there's a there's once you get into see here's the thing. Once you talk about what you get in return, that's another conversation that's more complicated. But I'll give you an example to speak about success, literal success. Yosef. Yosef, Joseph, biblical Joseph, yeah. is the only biblical figure in the five books of Moses that is referred to as Matzliach, successful. There's no other character that's referred to as successful. Abraham, was he successful? I would say yes, but he's not called successful. Hatzlacha, matzliach, ish matzliach is only used by Yosef. He's the only guy who's successful. Now, one, one of the most powerful parts of history, at least the way I, you know, what, what, what I find inspiring or telling, 
is, and I may have mentioned this in a recent class, I feel like I did, but I'm going to say it again, is um, when, he, when he's in prison and he meets the butler and the baker and they tell him their dreams and he interprets the dreams and the butler gets out and he says to the butler, hey, when you go in front of Pharaoh, don't forget me. Put, put in a good word. I'm innocent. <laughs> I was framed, right? I'm straight. Put in a good word. I helped you out. I gave you the good prophecy. I gave you the good interpretation. Hook up a brother. The Torah says, he did not remember him. He forgot him. It's two years later, that Pharaoh has his own dreams. He's trying to find someone who can interpret dreams. The butler remembers, oh, I remember a guy. They pull him out, and the rest is his from, from the dungeon, and the rest is history. Here's the point. The sages discuss why is it that it took two years from Joseph interpreting the dream of the butler. So one answer is he was punished because he put his eggs, as it were, in the basket. I don't know why I'm using an analogy. Basically, he put his faith, instead of Hashem, into the butler. And that's why. The commentaries asked the question, what do you mean? He put his faith in the butler. He was making, he was making a plan. We always say the famous joke about the flood, right? You know the flood, the joke with the flood? There's a flood. And the police come in and say, everyone has to evacuate. The lady of the house says, no, I, I, I believe in God. God will help. God will save. Uh, the flood gets higher. Right? Rescue comes by. We're here to take you. Nope. Speedboat comes by. Nope. Helicopter. Nope. She drowns. Comes before God. I believed in you. Where were you? How come you didn't save me? She's like, I sent the police. I sent fire. I sent the, I sent the speedboat. I sent the helicopter. What else do you want me to do? So, so we have to make a plan. We have to use, we have to leverage practical tools in front of us to make, uh, to network. So what was wrong with Yosef, Joseph networking? He was networking with the butler. So what's the problem? So here's, here's one response. One response is that there was nothing wrong. It wasn't a punishment. It was God informing Joseph that it's not like a, it's not a light switch. That when you hit it, it happens automatically. There's something in the middle, and that is divine blessing. And just because you made the vessel, just because you made the keli, doesn't mean that automatically the blessing is going to flow through it. And the two years is, is God's way of saying, I want this to be on the record that you can do everything right, and it still may take two years. And conversely, you might not do anything right, and the blessing may still flow. Because the blessing is not, the vessel is the channel, but it's not the blessing. That's why the Talmud says, a Jewish farmer plants and then prays. Maybe every farmer plants and prays for rain. But the Jewish farmer, what it means is someone who believes in God recognizes that it's not the seed that causes growth. It's not the earth. It's not the, it's not the plowing or the fertilizing. It's not, that's not what makes it happen. It's a divine blessing at the end of the day. It's a divine blessing. And so I think that there's two, there's two elements. There's the meditation which gets us excited, which gets us, which motivates us to connect with God. And then there's, okay, what do we get from that? Like, is that, is that going to translate into, you know, lining my pockets in a, in a positive way? Or not even lining my pockets. Is that going to translate into in a comfortable life? So that's, a, that's another element. I I'm not trying to minimize it, but that's, that's not really the scope of today. Today is about the meditation. Thinking, getting excited, and then moving closer. <clears throat> Joseph, I would say the, the butler, 
maybe when he saw Pharaoh's dreams, it was his meditation that translated into remembering Joseph. Right. And that was the action. Could be, could be. He, he remembered and then... So that's one meditation. So this is what I call the outward meditation in the sense that we're not thinking about self. I mean, we start with self. I'm alive and grateful, but it ends up fanning out to thinking about God, creation, the universe, a lot of big themes that get us ideally very excited about getting closer to God. That makes sense? That's meditation one. Meditation two is very different. Meditation two is what I would call the introspective meditation. It's thinking about contemplating about all the stuff that we've done, all the stuff that we've said, all the stuff that we've thought that haven't been so holy in our lifetimes and thinking about the fact that we have a long way to go toward our, to maximizing our potential, to really maximizing our spiritual potential, right? Can I stand up? And say, you know, I am, you know, I, I've maximized my potential. That I am, I'm, I'm firing on all cylinders. So this meditation is what we would call a self-critical meditation. It's looking inward, not looking at God and the universe and the big, grand, beautiful things. It's looking inward at the inner, for lack of a better term, the inner, I don't even want to say that. Let's say ugliness, but that's, that's, too, that's too negative of a term. The inner, let's say it this way, imperfection that exists within us. And contemplating, thinking about all the things that we've done and said. And even if the things weren't negative, but were they as positive as they could be? Were they as holy as they could be? And even if they were as positive and as holy as I could muster, the question is, is it up to God's standard? So again, it, 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 this is an evolving meditation that really takes on a few different permutations. It's like thinking about all the things that I've done wrong, thinking about all the th times that I've fallen short, it's a little bit different, thinking about all the times that I've maximized my potential, but it's not up to God's standards because God, God has a, has a much higher standard. And by doing so, a person gets into a, a space that Kabbalah calls mirirut. Mirirut. Now, you may... If you're picking up on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the wording, it sounds like marar. What does marar mean? Bitter. Bitter. Mar. Bitter. Marar. Marirut is the feeling or the experience of... Uh, here's a, a, not, a, not a, um, a super smooth translation. It would be bitterness, but not the bitterness that English... You know, bitterness in, you know, in our parlance would be someone is, um, is angry, they're bitter, right? They're jaded, they are cynical, they're bitter. That's not what I mean. Bitter would mean, okay, um, think about this. Football, football in my brain. So imagine you are a field goal kicker, which means that you are the smallest person on the, like, usually the smallest person on the team, the one who doesn't get knocked around, you know, for 60 minutes, typically, you come in and you're kind of like the hero. Or you're, you have, well, hold on. You have the, op or the absolute, hey, Natan, good to see you. Right, or you have the opportunity to be the hero or, great to see you, or the absolute, well, they used to say goat, but now goat means the best. So now goat is ruined forever. Or you could be the, uh, I don't know, the villain, thank you. The hero or the villain. Agony or ecstasy, exactly. Here's, here's the thing. You come in, tie game, Super Bowl. Let's go big. Super Bowl. 
tie game, three seconds on the clock. 40 yard field goal. I mean, I remember as a kid, Buffalo Bills. I don't know if there are any football fans here. Buffalo Bills. Remember that? New York, Giants, Buffalo Bills. What was it? Wide right. What was his name? His name was? Scott Norwood. Thank you. Scott Norwood. Scotty Norwood, who twice in a row missed field goals that were not that long. One was wide right. I think one was wide left. That guy, I mean, he and the whole team is, you know, these guys are, football is a brutal sport. It's, it's, there's a, there's, there's a lot of physical hitting that happens in football. And then you have a guy who walks out and his job is run, kick a ball through the goalpost. That's, that's like the only thing that you're, that that's what you need to do. And he misses and his team loses. Oh, but I'm giving you a different example. Sorry. This is not a, so imagine tie game and you, you're the kicker. You can win this thing. And your team, everyone, the fans are on your side. Everyone's cheering. And you go and you're nervous, but and you miss it. You miss it. That was God's will. You, well, hold on. Let's not, <laughs> let's leave that out for a second. Because here's, I want to get to the psychology. So now it's still a tie game. You didn't lose. Remember, it was a tie game. You could have won it. You didn't win it. It's still tied. Now you go to overtime. Right? Now you're in overtime. And the way, and, and slow and behold, not slow and behold, low and behold. Lo and behold, after a few minutes, guess what? Your team has given you, the kicker, another opportunity to win the game. I'll ask you a simple question. What's the worst thing you can do right now? Well, yes, miss it would be the worst. What's the second worst? Think about the miss. The second to worst thing would be to think about it to get in your head. At that point, you need to completely divest as best you can Blank slate, 10 minutes ago, never existed. Didn't happen. If you're in your head, I missed it. What if I do it again? Oh, man, that is very bad. You don't want to be in your head. You just want to be in the moment. You want to be natural, normal. You've made this kick that literally thousands of times in your life before. You want to go back and recall that muscle memory. You don't want to be in your head of like, oh, no, what if I fail again? I failed before. That would be the absolute worst. So here's what happens. You get up and you kick it and you make it. And you're the hero and they carry you. Because remember, you're the smallest guy. These guys are massive. (laughs) Did I ever tell you how I ran into some football players at the W in Buckhead? (laughs) I was there one evening and I wanted to go up to the rooftop. The W in Buckhead has a rooftop thing. And they're like, no, it's closed to a party. I'm like, close to a party. This was like a few years ago. Me and my wife, we got a babysitter. It was like a whole thing, right? And like, we wanted to just, I think it's called the whiskey, whatever it is, the whiskey bar. Wanted to go up there and, up. Oh, it's closed. I'm like, you like the odds, right? The odds. I'm like, who's having, so I actually said, like, who's having a private party? They're like, Heinz Ward. I don't know if you know Heinz Ward, Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm like, oh, I'm from Pittsburgh. Can I get in? Like, no. <laughs> actually, no. I'm <laughs> not you met Heinz Ward? I did meet him. Small guy. Not a big Small guy. guy. Small guy. So I met him also. Yeah, yeah. So listen, to, so I was, so we were downstairs. We couldn't go upstairs. They blocked off the elevator. We were downstairs. There were two guys sitting at the bar downstairs. I've never seen human beings like this. Massive. And then they stood up. And they were probably 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", whatever it is, 350 pounds blocks of humanity. 
And they were two offensive linemen uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were like on the offensive line. Their job was to block people. And, uh, and why I, there's a reason why I said this, but I'm forgetting now. Oh, football. Oh, because those guys could pick up the kicker on their shoulders without even feeling the kicker on their shoulders. There you go. All right, back to the story. Did, did However, they, you to show you how they, do they no, I was like, I've never seen human beings this big. I was like <laughs> in awe of the physical um, stature of the, like physical. It was, it was incredible. But back to the story. Huh? Steve Altman showed that he passed away. Yeah, I know Steve. On the restaurant over here at Chastain Park. And he, his later life, he'd wear his yarmulke and he'd have it sits on his restaurant. But he's sitting there, he said it was lunchtime, he had one little customer left, and he's sitting up at the bar going through all the, you know, the checks for the day. He has back to the window. All of a sudden it gets dark. <laughs> <laughs> he turns around, and there's Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, Shaq. He said, he said all these football players, all of them have been in this restaurant. Falcons, all these teams, dreadful they come in. He said, this is the largest human being I've ever seen. And what Shaquille I knew. He looked at his young, he said, my shemcha. Shaquille said that? He spoke Hebrew? My shemcha. What's your name? What's your name? Wow. Cool. Interesting. That's just saw a thing that he posted where he grew a relationship with his accountant. Who's, Jew, who's Jewish? Who's Jewish. Who's yeah. his financial advisor. He's like, that's the only man that I actually trust because he's sincere in how he... Interesting. So, wow. That's, that's probably how he... Yes. Yes. Yep. Shaquille, he's over seven feet. So these... I think so. Yeah. And he's big. And he's big. Yeah, but I mean, offensive linemen are like six, seven, six, eight. This guy is over... Yeah. This, and, and massive. Wow. All right, so back to the story. Oh, here's the deal. After the game, think about it. After the game, that's when you go over the film. When you, when you have the next kick to win the game, do not replay the miss in your head. You will, you will psych yourself out. Don't do that. Right. You've already had to gone through this your whole life to learn how to do that. Right. But after the game, right, in between, then you watch the film. And you look at, break it down. What did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Where was my foot? The positioning. You break it down and you go and work on it. That's the sign of healthy growth. Healthy growth means you look back at your mistakes, but not when you have the next opportunity. That's the wrong time. So I'll share with you what Tanya says. Again, quoting the book of Tanya. Tanya says the following. When you feel bad about something that you've done in the middle of the day, you're feeling regret, remorse, right? You're feeling like bad about something. That is the wrong time to work on that. You know why? Because you didn't intentionally set up that meeting with yourself. It's coming to you. Where is it coming from? Not from your godly soul. It's coming from the other side, the negative side. And the only reason that you're being encountered with that sense of, oh man, I messed up. I shouldn't have done. The only reason why you're feeling that, why you're being sent that message from the other side is to slow you down, is to make you miss the next kick is to make you feel bad about yourself, to make you feel down and feel you know, depressed or feel whatever, sad, whatever that is to bring you down and to not have you operating at your optimal um, excitement or, or, or positivity in this moment. That's why you're being confronted with this. Tell yourself, he says, tell yourself, it's a valid thing. It's a valid, I should look at the videotape I need to find out, what, uh, I need to understand what I did wrong, how I did wrong and make amends. I need to work on that. But 
I'm setting an appointment with myself. I will do this at the time that makes sense. Maybe it's at the end of the day, you know, before bedtime. I can meditate, I can contemplate on the things that I've done wrong, etc. Or maybe the beginning of the day, maybe at the beginning of the month, end of the month, whatever it is, I can make what's called a cheshbon hanefesh, which means an accounting of my soul. Cheshbon means an accounting, but not a financial audit, a spiritual audit of my spiritual standing. Where am I as a human being? Am I in my relationships? Am I showing up the way I need to be? In my spiritual life, am I showing up the way I need to be, etc.? It's about that inner audit. That is critically important, but at the right time. There are certain things that are very positive, but when the timing is off, they become very negative. A self-audit, which means almost brutal, well, yeah, brutally examining, putting your life under this, uh, this magnifying glass or this bright light, doing that in a very honest and open way is critically important for growth and for spiritual health. However, a necessary ingredient is timing the right time, and not when it comes to you, but when you choose to do it, because then it is something that will be healthy. So Tanya says, Tanya says, the book of Tanya teaches that it's kind of like a knife or a surgery. It's a very sharp tool, self-auditing and self-introspection. It's a very sharp tool. And you need to make sure that you're using it in a healthy environment, in the time and the place that will be beneficial, and not just randomly you know, wielding, wielding this knife and hoping for the best. So when the feelings come to you, that's not the right time. It's about hit bone and it's about a meditation. And just to come full circle, this is the second form of meditation. The first meditation is thinking about the greatness of God. I'm getting excited. I want to get closer to God. The second meditation is thinking inward. It's not feeling bad about things on the run. It's not, I feel bad, I feel guilty, I feel shame, whatever, in the middle of the day. This is intentional contemplation, meditation, hit bonanut. This is thinking about my life, thinking about where I am, thinking about what I'm doing well, what I'm not doing so well, and making a game plan for self-improvement. This is a process of self, very honest self-appraisal, in order to lead to something positive. And part of that self-appraisal is coming to the conclusion, I am not 100% where I need to be. I'm not optimizing the gifts that I've been given, the time that I've been given, etc. That will be, if you're a human being, that will, be the conclu- that will be one of the conclusions. Because no one is perfect, no one optimizes, no one maximizes. Before God, every human being is on some level left wanting, we're not, we, we cannot, we can never measure up to that. So this second meditation is about looking inward and recognizing the areas of improvement. Let's go on to the next step. I told you before at the beginning, there are three letters that ruin both meditations. And the three letters form a phrase, edging God out. And what are those three letters? E-G-O, which form the word Ego, because ego can ruin both. Meditation number one is about thinking about the greatness of God and wanting to get closer. However, if it becomes about me and what I get out of it, it's a little bit ruined. It's not ruined, ruined, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit distorted. Now it's no longer about God, it's about me. 
It's not me wanting to feel something. It's like, I want to have an experience. I want to feel spirituality. I want to get closer. Me, 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 me. It becomes about me. I become self-obsessed. So yesterday, the way I was serving myself was through physical things. Today, I'm serving myself through alleged spiritual things. But it's the same self-serving uh, drive that's pushing me toward God with ego in the way, even the meditation about God and the excitement about God can be distorted. Again, I don't want to, the word ruined is a little too strong. It's not ruined, but it can be, it's tainted. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not pure. Likewise, the second meditation, this is even, I think, even more compelling, where we beat ourselves up. Not actually, right? But we, you know, we're, we're critical about ourselves. And we say, you know what? I'm falling short in this area. That can also be the product of ego can also mess that one up. You know what that looks like? I'll tell you what that looks like. That looks like when we do that, that looks like someone who does that and feels good and self-righteous about having the self-awareness of their own flaws. Don't make me try to say that again because I don't know that I can. <laughs> does that make sense? It's like I feel good about being so self-aware or so, I, let me use a different word. I'm, I can be so vulnerable. Look at me. Right? Look at me and how vulnerable I can be. I can be, I can be honest with myself. I've, I've got all these flaws. And that becomes a source of pride and joy. Look at how vulnerable I am, which means that's another ego trip. And then, it, and then it ceases to become a catalyst for growth. Because I don't actually feel bad about it. I feel good about feeling bad. <laughs> I feel good about feeling bad. Then there's no, there's no growth. So Jewish. So like, right, triple pump fake. And like, it's like, deke. Right? It's like. They don't. The point is, when there is ego, it could hinder the experience. Without ego. My meditation of God is about God about God's greatness. It's about being drawn to God, not for self, not for self gain, but just because I'm drawn to truth. When the introspection and the vulnerability is pure, then it's really about understanding, contemplating what it is that I need to fix, and then feeling bad about the things that, I'm feeling bad. It's about recognizing the stuff, regret, and that's a catalyst for improvement. But if I feel good about feeling bad, then that's it. Then, 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 that, then that's the objective. Objective attained. I feel good that I feel bad. So we're done. So there's no growth. Because I got the feedback from the feeling bad itself. So why should I get better? <laughs> I'm, I feel good beating myself up. It's like almost a spiritual masochism. It's like I'm excited about beating myself up. Great. Fantastic. Good. So we're over, right? It's, it's, so now there's no growth. If, if, if the feeling bad is about leveraging that, it's like, again, it's like the kicker who's watching, watching the film, watching the tape, and saying, here's what I did wrong. I need to get better. Or it's like the athlete who the other athlete calls out as not being so good, prints out that article, puts it on their locker, and says, this is my motivation now. They call it bulletin board material. 
this is my motivation, right? So now I'm, I'm using this as a catalyst for growth. But if my experience of, of self, you know, of, of, of that self audit is about feeling good about being so honest with myself, so then that's it. <laughs> then, then it's over. I don't need to grow. I feel good about feeling bad. Great. So I'm stuck. I stay stuck. The goal is not to stay stuck. And the point of this is that even when you have these two powerful meditations, whether it's the outward meditation focusing on God and, and God's greatness and, and thereby generating an emotion of wanting to get closer, or whether it's the introspective, the inward meditation, focusing on our shortcomings, right, on my shortcomings, and then th that being a catalyst for growth, if either of them, if the foundation is ego, or if it's injected at all with ego, then what that does is it distorts the experience, it renders the growth, it renders the, the excitement about God self-serving, it renders the potential for inner growth, it, 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 it essentially... I don't know, it neuters that, it, it, it kills that, it neutralizes that, and then there's no, and, and, and that's where the ego becomes so insidious in its, uh, in, in its effect. And so, this is why Kabbalah teaches that before the meditation, right, the meditation can feel holy, you can feel self-righteous, but if it's predicated on the ego, you're not going to climb and you're not going to change. You're not going to go anywhere. You're going to stay right where you are, self-serving. So Kabbalah teaches, who was the one that symbolizes the necessary first step before meditation to shed the ego? As I wrote in the email, it's Aaron the high priest. And this is related a little bit to Hanukkah. And so I wanted to make sure to share this idea. We're, it's after Hanukkah, I know, but it's never too early to get started. <laughs> The menorah, oh, oh, good, perfect. The menorah's still out. We still haven't put away the menorahs. Good. You know, it's funny. I know, I'm noticing, I mean, as you said that, right over your shoulder, the back window of the preschool, there's uh, the window. They have a menorah there in the window. Perfect. Yours is still, good, perfect. Good, so we, it's still kosher. The temple menorah, as we all know, was not nine uh, flames. It was seven, okay? And who prepared it? The priest. Originally, the first priest to do the service was Aaron, the high priest. He was like the original, uh, original high priest. What was involved in preparing the menorah? So it, they didn't have candles. They certainly didn't have um, paraffin, I think it's paraffin, twisty candles, right? They used oil, as we all know from the story, right? They only found one jar of oil, right? So what kind of oil? Olive oil. The first press of the olive oil, the first, first drops they used, okay, olive oil. So what was the task of the high priest? Literally, he prepared the um, uh, cups, right? Prepared the cups by filling up the cups with oil, putting a wick in there, and he got it ready. And then at some point he kindled it. And then the next day he would clean it out from the previous night. You know, the schmutz, you know, when you have, a, have a oil, you know, if you're using oil, it gets a little... See, today, in 2023... Life is easy. Hanukkah, they sell, I get this stuff, the pre-filled, oh my gosh, it is crazy. You get the pre-filled oil cups, right? It's like you just open it up, boom, you put it out. I'm not pouring oil. So I ran out of cups because my, okay, here's, here's what happened, happened this year. 
So my, um, I had a few kids in yeshiva in Chicago. They came back home for the last two days, two nights, seven and eight. Now you know, night seven and eight, that's when your the bulk of your of your candles are going. Because seven and eight, right? That's yeah, one or two or three. Things start getting exponential. It's like Sessa. You guys know the story about Sessa? Oh, I got to tell you the story about Sessa. A story and a story, maybe even in a story. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many parentheses we have open here. Sessa. Sessa was a mathematician and philosopher. And he also liked to play chess. The king or the emperor, I don't know, whatever, some big honcho somewhere, maybe in India or something, once used to challenge people in chess. And this guy says, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready to take you on. The king says, so they make a wager. He says, what do you want if you win? He says, it's very simple. Just take one grain of rice, put it on the first square of the top left square of the chessboard, and then as you go along the, 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 uh, the squares, right, just double it. You know how many squares there are? 64. The king says, oh, just start with one and double it. Pfft. Rice? No problem. When you do that math, it is an incredible number. It's more rice that exists in the entire world that's ever been. Anyway, this guy cleaned them out. <laughs> I mean, not exactly, but the point was there was a lot of, a lot of money, exponential growth. So, you know, the last two nights of Hanukkah, you start back to my story with my kids. So you have a lot more, a lot more need for oil and stuff. What happens is um, I ran, I didn't have enough, uh, I, I miscalculated, I didn't, well, I didn't miscalculate, I didn't have enough for the kids. So my brother-in-law brought over some, so he brings over, I said, do you have extra, extra stuff, materials? He's like, yes, I'll bring it over. Great. He comes over with a bottle of oil. I'm like, great. What do I do with this now? No. So what we did was we took the, the pre-filled cups, cleaned them out. Right? The wicks were burned out. We have to you know, take a tweezer, pull the wick out, refix it, fill it up with the oil, ready to go. I felt like the high priest. Anyway, back to Aaron. Back to the story. So Aaron, so Kabbalah says like this. Aaron, by filling up, preparing the lamps with oil, the lamps of the menorah with oil, what he was doing spiritually was this work. Shedding the ego before the meditation that would lead to emotions. Think about it. Kabbalah teaches that the seven lamps of the temple menorah correspond to the seven emotional characteristics of the human being. Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzachod, Yesod, Malchot. Seven primary emotional uh, qualities that we each possess, right? Think about that Kabbalah, that Svirot chart that we love, that we know and love. Seven emotional powers, seven lamps. So each branch of the menorah corresponds to another personality archetype. Great. That's emotional archetype. What happens before you light the menorah? And, 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 and fire, of course, is passion. Fire is energy. It means that the emotions aren't just stale, but they're, they're alive. But before you do that, you know what you do? You put olive oil in there. You have to have the fuel. But what is the olive oil? So listen to this. Kabbalah teaches that oil is related to chachma. Oil is related to the power of Chachma. Why Chachma? It's an elaborate conversation. It's part of why Yavan, why the Greeks went after the oil. Why did they care about the oil? Why did they seek to defile the oil? You know what the oil is? Chachma. It's how we think. It's Chachma. 
Well, they wanted to defile the Jewish way of thinking. That's what Yavan did. You know how, I, I'm going to like air do this. You know how you write Yavan in Hebrew? Yod, Vav, Nun. Three progressively longer lines. Yavan, right, the Greek Hellenistic attitude is, let's take you here, then lower, and then all the way down. Progressively lower and lower. Yavan. If we had a board, I would show you what I'm talking about. Otherwise, I'm doing air guitar right now. So, Shemen is Chachma. Oil is Chachma. Chachma is associated with Bittel, lack of ego. Chachma is, if you switch around the letters, Koach Ma. Chachma, switch around the first two letters. Koach Ma. Koach Ma, ma means the power of what? Or the power of the question. Ma nishtana halaylaza. We start a question with the word Ma. Koach Ma means the power to question. Chachma, we know is intellectual creativity and curiosity. And that always comes from the courage to ask questions, the courage to say why and what and what could be. It's the ability to look beyond what you know and what you have to explore the beyond. That's what Chachma is. Chachma, therefore, is associated with shedding ego. The ego says, I know it. I know it all. I understand it. And the way I understand it is correct. And I'm not open to learning anything else. That's what a closed ego system not ecosystem, a closed ego system sounds and feels like. I know it all. I'm comfortable where I am. Chachma is bitul. Chachma is the power to ask, to question yourself and to say, well, what if I'm wrong? What if there's another way to understand things? What if there's another truth that I don't yet know, but I can discover? Chachma is curiosity. Curiosity is born of openness. If you're not, that's why the most curious people demographically are children. Because they're not yet so stuck in who they are. The more we become settled and stuck in who we are, typically, the less curious we are. That's why artists, you know, artists by nature, it's an artist personality. Curiosity. Someone who maybe doesn't take themselves so seriously. Like, oh, I'm, although I'm sure there's a lot of serious artists. But like art, artistry is about being open. It's creativity, it's channeling something, a creative force beyond yourself. And that is surrendering the ego to something greater. And so coming full circle, every day, every morning, what did Aaron do? He attended to the menorah. He cleaned out the old oil and then he refilled the lamps. And the message is, before your emotions go live, right, before they... Spark, but more than spark. You know when you turn on your heat and the thing, the furnace, yeah. right? You know what I'm talking about? Right? It makes that, that sound. Before that happens, before the combustion happens, make sure to put the oil in, which means to shed, chachma, a healthy dose of chachma, shedding the ego to be open to the experience. That will, will make the meditation go way smoother. What do I mean by the meditation? The med- both meditations. It will make the meditation about God be about God and about wonder, not about what I get out of it. It's not, well, if I meet God on his terms, you know, selflessly, what do I get? And it's not so selfless, right? It's like, what do I get from this? It's not about me. It's about, it's about perfectly and purely 
being in the moment and, and connecting with God. It's when I look at myself, the second meditation, when I'm introspective and I'm looking at my, the areas in which I'm excelling and the areas that I'm not excelling. I'm not thinking, oh, and if I feel bad enough, then I'm so righteous. Look at me. I'm a guy who can feel bad about my, about the stuff. See, I'm, I'm a good, I'm a good person. I'm a healthy person because I can even feel remorse. I can feel contrite. That's not bittle, right? That, that, that is not bittle. That is not self, uh, that's not, that's not shedding self. Which one? Bittle? The self. Feeling bad. Is that the motive to have to do the next step or? You have to have some recognition that there's a problem. Right. The, the, so, bittel doesn't mean, the, the shaman, the oil, the chachma, the bittel, the, the surrender, doesn't mean that I'm not aware of self. It means that my awareness of self is predicated on authentic desire to grow and not on me feeling... Not correct. It's not like I feel... Okay. Right. Exactly. Because that still fuels ego. In other words, I look, look at me, look at how aware I am and how, how bad I feel and therefore whatever. It's not about, it's not about me. It's in this moment, it's purely about um, uh, the actual growth itself. So, these are the two meditations. And they connect. I want to make a very quick connection. Oh, Ray, you got to go? Yeah, I'm sorry. No worries at all. It was great. I'm so glad you were able to make it here in person. Good. Good. Um, we'll see you soon. Um, and Waverly, thank you for, for helping. Yeah. A very good word for this exploration, the Mida, is inquiry. Interesting. I like that. Inquiry. Yeah. And part of the inquiry, I think, Sam, to what you're saying is, is to inqu- the inquiry before the inquiry. It's like, why am I inquiring? It's like, what's it, what's it about? And so here's where I want to connect. I want to do one more connection, and then we're going to close it out. I know I have a problem. Correct. Yeah. And I'm satisfied by the fact that I'm so aware I can't even tell you my problems. So aren't we good now? We're good. It's like someone who apologizes and says, isn't that enough? I apologize. Like, what do you mean? I said, I'm sorry. It's like, well, hold on. That's not just that. Yeah. Part of the the ego is the aging process because we think that, oh... Yeah, we've seen that before. That's a tree. And then we start labeling everything. And then it's, it also explains why uh, our days seem to not be as long as when we're kids because, you know, then we're, everything is new. Um, so there was a story that in Sandy Spring Circle, there was like a Buddhist uh, retreat center. And there was this, uh, this Buddhist monk, and he was just walking around, and he was just observing everything. And they're like, man, I want to be like that guy because he sees everything for the first time. You know, there's no labeling because they, they consciously remove the label. They remove the label, remove the label. And I say, okay, well, actually, that's a different species tree. That's a different kind of tree that has a different, actually, that has a different personality, that particular tree. And it's been through all these experiences. And it's not just been there, done that. Um, it's hard to shed the labels that we've accumulated. Yeah, because yeah, we, we think, because we start um, categorizing things uh, for knowledge, but it actually works to our detriment because then we really don't see anything or we're not really experiencing things so our whole day goes by and we don't really observe. yeah you're right we and we do it for efficiency it's like i know this I, I know this i know that i know that good and, and also maybe as we get older many of us don't like surprises <laughs> we like to know what we know 
and we're comfortable with what we're comfortable with. And like, you know what? Don't rock the boat too much. It's okay. So I want to make, again, one final connection, and we're going to close it out. Uh, 90 seconds. There's different personas that we're, we've been developing. I know, I know we didn't get to read inside today, but I wanted to lay that out because that's very important stuff that we spoke about today. Uh, there are different personas that are... Oh. You know the code? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, we got the team. We got the mitzvah team on the case. Thank you so much. Oh, does it? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, interesting. Really? Oh, look at that. All right, so very quickly. Um, in this text, we talk about different personas. We talk about the child. We talk about the simple servant. And we talk about the, uh, the loyal servant. And, you know, I think there is a natural understanding of you know, there's, there's an advantage to the child over the servant because the child wants and the child feels and the child is excited. And yet at the end of the day, there's also the potential for an admixture of ego. So for example, give you different, different activities. Cooking your favorite meal versus brushing your teeth. Right? Cooking your favorite meal you're excited about. Brushing your teeth, you know you have to do. Again, if you get very excited about brushing your teeth, then this example doesn't apply to you. I'm giving you like, it's a, it's a potential example. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Cooking your favorite meal you're excited about. You're excited about it and you're going to get something from it. You're going to eat it. You're going to enjoy it. It's good for you also. Brushing your teeth, you're benefiting from it, yes, but you're doing it because, you know, because it's important to do. Um, and then you have going to work. Going to work could be something that you love doing, could be something that you very much don't love doing, could be somewhere in between. And as we'll see, again, all, what I'm saying now is a teaser really, connected with what we said before and a teaser for what we're going to jump into. As we'll see, it's this third category that is very open to interpretation. How much do I love the things that I have committed to do. The brushing the teeth, it's autopilot, I'm doing it. I'm not feeling too much, I'm doing it. But the work, the work that I do, how connected am I with that work? How invested am I? How meaningful is that experience versus how automated is that experience? And it's here that a lot of our divine service, what defines our divine service as holy, selfless, or not so selfless, really lies. Um, when I do the work, the spiritual work, when I'm showing up to shul and, and opening up the prayer book, when I'm sitting in front of some Torah that I'm studying in the middle of the day, when I am engaging in a mitzvah, am I doing it out of a sense of obligation, out of a sense of love? Am I doing it from a place of ego, how it makes me feel, or a place of selflessness? These are all questions that we're going to explore. Today we saw how even the greatest meditations with ego can be stunted. And the experience can be a little bit neutralized and the benefit can be quelled. So, today, so that sets the stage for our exploration of what spiritual work looks like for you and I in 2023. And that's where we're going to continue um, in our text. I know you don't have it in front of you, but the next section that we're going to speak about is called the joyful servant. That's coming up next time. Next week is what? What's next Sunday? Is it the first? Oh, it's 31st, New Year's Eve. You guys, is anyone around for New Year's Eve? Yes? Yeah, okay, cool. 
Okay, so then let's, the intention will be to do it. But, stay, but pay attention to the email just in case. Um, all right, so next time. Next time on Kabbalah Cafe. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. All right. We need... Soon everyone's going to be part of the rescue mission. Literally everyone's going to... Which is not a bad thing. All right. We're going to close it out. Thank you guys for joining uh, today for Kabbalah Cafe. I hope this got your week started with some energy, some meditation, some positivity. Remember, the ego is normal and it's natural, but ego does come at the cost or, or has a cost and it can come to the detriment of our true spiritual growth. So, thank you. Thank you. Um, so, I um, uh, hope this has, has empowered your week. Yes. Did somebody, uh, did somebody jump in? Lisa, is that you? Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. You're cutting in and out though. Yeah. Can you hear me? It's Lisa. Yeah, hey Lisa. I'm hearing you a little bit. I sent you a text message. So God told me, okay, God told me to send you a text message about the dog. They read my text message. Okay, I'll read your text. I don't have my phone on me, okay. but after the class, okay. I'll read it. All right. All right, we'll see you guys. All right, we'll see everybody. Have a wonderful uh, day. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the Chinese food as one does. <laughs> my pleasure my pleasure yes um, I do know a way where you can do a wonderful mitzvah um, help other people and have a dog temporarily really oh I'd love that oh that's amazing so for my son fantastic he will be very grateful thank you thank you thank you like in modern Hebrew it's to see or to watch so I don't Get the turnover to the thing. Can it be just being aware? It could be awareness, but it's. Well, where do you have the the seeing in that? Hit boninut. It's just in the dictionary. That's just what it is. Interesting. 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 To watch something. Hit bonin. Uh, I would say that that modern usage is a little bit of a massage from the original term. In other words, the original, right, not the other way around. The original means bina, it means to understand. But lehitbone means to, to watch or to carefully observe. That's how it's used because it's also a contemplative type exercise. But it comes from the word bina. That's really interesting because... Yeah, I never put that together. Yeah, that's good. And it's a very common word. Yeah, I would imagine. Because so, people are watching things all the time. <laughs> so it comes from... It comes from Bina. From Bina. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Thank you for sharing this. I'm excited. I know you so I'm going to send you something. I've been working on Oh, good. I started learning Tanya and Steve, so I'm trying to straighten this out. We never did get to the bottom of it. got close to it. So I'll send you something. Oh, good. This is always good. Nice. It's, it's great to have you back. Value systems and how you structure it, how you restructure Very good. All right. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, of course, I mentioned, folks, we are running in two days. Start Well, I mean, you can start now also. But starting officially December 26th at 9 a.m. for 36 hours, we're having our end-of-year matching campaign once a year at least for right now, no, once a year matching campaign 
we are raising 150,000. We have generous donor, or generous matchers that are matching the funds, um, and uh, every dollar that's given is equivalent of two. So please give generously. Please open your hearts. No, no, no. Give today. Today it's all. It's it's the pre-campaign is open also. It's officially 36 hours. Unofficially, we've got a few more days. <laughs> that's the way we do it. There was a guy in Crown Heights, I remember. He used to raise money for kalas, for brides. He used to say, take out, take out your wallet, open your wallet, take out a dollar, and give me the rest. <laughs> That's, I was trying to remember his line. That's what it was. Take out a dollar and give me the rest. <laughs> right, exactly. Anyway, good to see you guys. Let's say bye to Ellen. Thank you. Thank you. Ellen, Renata, Matt, and Sandrine. Is that your, is that your buddy? Renata. Nice. Huh? Renata. Renata. Yep. All right. Yeah, I saw, I saw Renata before. Um, hey, Sandrine. And look for Ariel and uh, Jason at the game. I see it now. Field seats, they are very nice. I will look, but I'm telling you, my seats are like row ZZ. Not exactly, but I think they're, I think we're almost hanging on the metal beams. Like when the, if the stadium, if the roof opens and closes, I think we're going to feel the, uh, the breeze of that. That's how high we are. But I'll, I'll look down. I'll, I'll bring my, uh, my eagle eyes to, uh, to check for them. That'll be very cool. I hope we get that message on the screen that Atlanta stands for Israel. I hope we get that. We'll see. Today's a good day. Who else is going to be there? That's right. That's true. That's true. Um, all right, great, great to have you on, and uh, great to see you guys. All right, Shavuot Tov, have a great week. Talk to you guys soon. All right, take care.